Welcome to Exit 43, where we take a deep dive into things you probably didn't know about. My name is Jordan Fenster. This week, groceries, how we buy them, and how that's changing. Doug Wade told me that back in the day, they put milk all the way at the back of the store so that shoppers would have to walk through all the aisles, picking up other items on the way. The Cumberland Farms of the world started using milk as a lost leader, and they built their stores where the milk was the furthest thing from you when you walked in, and you went by the potato chips and the bread and the candy bars, and hopefully by the time you got to the milk, you were coming out with a whole mess of other stuff out of the store. Wade should know. His family has been in the milk business for a few generations now. Wade's dairy has been around since 1893. My uh, great-grandfather, I never met the gentleman, uh, that was Frank Henry Wade. He rented some land up there and, and farmed and, you know, milked cows and started a home delivery route. And I guess back in that era, they, he just went out in a horse and buggy with a literally a big can of milk from uh, that morning's milkings, and it was warm milk, and it wasn't pasteurized, it was raw, and he would just pull up to a house, and the family would come out, and he would ladle off milk into the whatever receptacle they came out with, their morning pitcher for the, uh, the meals. And my understanding is that he went out twice a day, and he brought breakfast and lunch milk, and people would plan the meals around what time they expected him to get there. Wade is a milkman from a family of milkmen. He remembers delivering milk as a kid. It sounds like something out of a Norman Rockwell painting. On a Saturday, uh, I would hop on the milk truck with the home delivery driver and go out and deliver glass bottles of milk. And these were the old Divco milk trucks and clamshell doors, no seat belts. There wasn't a passenger seat in the truck. Uh, I just flipped over a milk crate and sat on it and had a great time. Home delivery declined in the 60s and 70s when they started putting milk in the back of the store. And that was the uh, beginning of the end for the milkman and also other home delivery items like Charles Chips and there was a Dugan bread man and various others um, who could not compete. And they all went out of business in the 60s, 70s into the early 80s, and we had uh, 3,000 customers in our heyday. And in 1992, after we had let all of our senior drivers uh, retire, because one time we had three guys going out and they had over 90 years with Wade's Dairy, and uh, we were just very proud to let them retire. And we shut down home delivery in 1992 after uh, doing it for 100 years from 1893. Whether or not milk was put in the back to encourage impulse buying is an open question. (laughs) Well, I think historically there is some truth to that. According to Brad Nabb, milk is in the back because of logistic reasons. Um, There's also some very obvious reasons why some of those products are in the back of the store. Uh, They're closer to the back room. They're easier to fill, especially I'm sure you've encountered a dairy cooler that you're, uh, has doors on it that you reach in and grab the product. So it's actually stocked from the back, and it's kind of hard to plop a big dairy cooler 
right in the middle of the store or up front if uh, employees are filling the cooler from the back, which allows the freshest products to come forward. Nab is co-founder of a company called Storemasters. In, in short, we design and build grocery stores specifically uh, grocery stores, all over the country. I asked him if groceries are designed for logistics or for sales, and he was pretty clear about that. I would say historically grocery stores are more designed uh, for the former to support operations, to easily stock the stores. They were much more utilitarian uh, in experience, if you will. But of course, that's been changing. Grocery stores are not so utilitarian anymore. Some of those operational efficiencies may, may have been sacrificed along the way or over the years to provide a better experience to the consumer. You might see some produce preps or some sushi islands or cheese islands or things of that nature that are out in the middle. Uh, they create a certain experience that I think makes the store more friendly, more shoppable, as opposed to the operations side where it might not be as easy to, to, to get the products to the middle of the store and then prep them. So I think historically that's the shift from operations and that those types of things first and foremost to now today where we're starting to look at how do we create a better experience in the shopping environment. Now, before we go any further, I should be very clear. The development of grocery shopping can be divided into two distinct time periods. All that we've spoken about so far was BC, before coronavirus. Let's go back to Wade's Dairy. After home delivery peeled off in the 90s, Doug Wade shifted his century-old business model. Instead of delivering milk to homes, he started delivering to schools and restaurants. And then the virus changed things. We were going to be doing 113 school systems on March 13th. I mean, we were providing milk to 113 public school systems. We had had two of them closed down earlier in the week, but we were just clueless, you know, that this was going to happen the way that it happened. And literally overnight, every school system shut down. And we were faced with Armageddon of, uh, I had something close to 8,000 cases of milk either in the pipeline being made or in our facility and on trailers and loaded on trucks to go out to all the schools the next day. And that was a uh, pretty major crisis we were staring at because it was about $70,000 worth of milk. That's a big hit. Any, any way you slice it, we were looking at a 50% reduction in our sales. And when you've got 80 employees that uh, are looking for work. That, that was a major crisis. Follow that thought through for the rest of the industry. As Nab said earlier, groceries were trending toward experiences. Let's bring Tanya Ebner into the conversation. So my name is Tanya Ebner. I'm a principal at Oliver Wyman. Ebner works with grocery stores on operations and strategy and emerging trends. You know, how you need to adopt your, your strategy, your store operating model to the new trends coming up to the next generation of consumers. Before coronavirus, the question was, how do you design a grocery store for a generation that doesn't seem to enjoy cooking as much as their parents? 
So I think there is overall a big uncertainty around how to position your business for the future shoppers, talking more about millennials and the younger generation and how they shop and therefore um, what you need to change if, if you want to still be attractive for, for these type of customers. People, especially here in the US and the younger generations, they just don't cook anymore that often. So I think half of the meals are... Uh, are consumed out of home um, and that's something you you need to be prepared for as a, as a grocer that means you know offering more like um, lunch opportunities in your stores or a place to socialize like how does the future store look like no, nobody knows and then right now it's getting even more uncertain with the COVID situation but um, we had like a strong believe in the stores need to be pretty attractive. That needs to be a good reason that you're going to visit a store as opposed to just order your food online. Stores needs to be fun, needs to be easy to shop. Um, That all changed a little bit. As we all know, it's now not that much fun to go to stores anymore. More on this in just a minute. Exit 43 is a production of Hearst Connecticut Media. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to our newspapers by visiting ctinsider.com. Find more episodes of Exit 43 on our website or wherever you go for podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Welcome back to Exit 43. I'm your guide, Jordan Fenster. This week, we're talking about grocery stores, and it might help to understand a little bit about how they managed when coronavirus emerged. Before the current pandemic, people were already shopping online. Amazon Go was already a thing. Peapod delivery and Instacart and curbside pickup were all part of a growing trend. Growing, but still relatively small. What was typically a 3% average uh, percent of sales across the country quickly went to 12%. 20, 25% of total store sales. Um, and that's pretty significant. That's Doug Baker. I'm the vice president of industry relations for FMI, the Food Industry Association. Nab said something similar, but he explained it slightly differently. The foot traffic's down, grocery sales are up. So somewhere, somehow, <laughs> sales are up with less foot traffic. And what that means is people are spending more. You know, the average uh, receipt tape, the average tape uh, per shop, uh, maybe on average was 25, 35, 45 bucks. Uh, Now they're seeing average tapes of 100 to 150. Baker said what many of us already knew. After the virus, it became almost impossible to get groceries delivered. You can only set up so many windows in a day. And consumers are learning really quickly right now what that means. Um, You know, getting a window for e-commerce is almost like lining up for concert tickets that you know are going to be released the next morning, right? So every morning a retailer is releasing new windows. And as the consumers learn how the platform works and how the process works with their retailer, they're getting into that queue and getting ready to get their windows. As we have the ability to continue to automate it allows more of those windows to open up. Without that automation, then it's all human intervention and you can only put so many windows in a day because then our most important asset is our people. 
We also all knew the pain of trying to find things like toilet paper. It became something of a mythical quest. Baker said consumers usually like to have the luxury of choice. They prefer their specific brand of scented toilet paper with the floral embroidery. That's why there are 45,000 different items in a typical grocery store, though Baker calls them stock-keeping units, or SKUs for short. But when there are entirely empty shelves, choice becomes a non-issue. I just mentioned, you know, 45,000 SKUs on average in a store because customers like choice. Well, in this particular instance, choice was, uh, a, was a luxury at this point. It was more important to have representation in a category. Retailers working with their manufacturing partners started identifying those SKUs that were slower moving. And they might have been a pack size, a flavor, or a scent, and chose to suspend them temporarily so that they could focus their uh, production on those um, highly demanded items, those highly demanded pack sizes. Some effects of coronavirus will be short-term. Take, for example, the idea of a self-service olive bar. That is, at least for now, a thing of the past. Uh, salad bars, hot bars, you name it, olive bars, whatever they are, there's no self-service bars, there's no self-service beverage, there's no self-service coffee, all of these things are gone. We see a lot of um, the stores have closed their prepared foods departments. Is that something that uh, will last in the longer term for the next 10 years? We don't know, um, but we are pretty sure it will last longer than the next couple of months. But what does all this mean for the long term? What will grocery shopping be like in 10 years? Remember, self-checkout was already installed at large grocery retailers around the country. Ebner explained that from a customer's perspective, the largest part of the store will be devoted to fresh items. Um, You walk in a store and all you see is basically uh, fresh. It's perishables and it's, it's organized around solutions. So you have like your chopped vegetables, more so than the raw ingredients, so it makes it really easy for you to, to buy these items and cook these items. Um, this is something that's very local usually, and something that is just very challenging for any, um, for any online delivery to get this 100% right. You might never put your favorite brand of scented toilet paper in your shopping cart. You'll pick which individual apple or avocado looks best to you, but all those non-perishables you need on a regular basis might be waiting for you when you leave the store or deliver directly to your home. Just a smaller part of the store will be, will be sent to store uh, items. We almost believe you, you can have some more like a virtual version of the center store where you, as a customer, you, you scan a QR code for uh, your toilet paper and then it gets either delivered to your home or you pick it up later in the pickup area when you leave the store. Nav explained the idea of lockers. He sees them as a way grocery stores can retain some of the online sales without increasing warehouse space. Uh, You simply take up a little bit of footprint outside on a sidewalk or maybe in a parking lot and you have a number of lockers. People can shop online. They get an email or a text that says, hey, Your order is ready in locker E104. You show up to the store. You never talk to anybody. You go up to the locker. You punch in your number. The door opens. You get your groceries out. You put them in the car. You close the door. And now the store gets a text message or an email on on their system that says, hey, locker E104 has been cleared out. 
and it's ready to receive another order. Does this mean the end of grocery store jobs? Will there be fewer people to bag your food and clean the aisles? Well, probably, yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean all those jobs will just disappear. I, I don't believe so. I mean, I think it's coming. I mean, uh, robots picking orders instead of humans to put in those food lockers, that, that's coming. I mean, it'll be here uh, probably in my lifetime uh, for sure. It's, it's more efficient uh, and it's more precise. But I still think the human factor is, is still going to be a force. I think we need to balance with the, with the onset of coronavirus and, and the, the types of things that might require more human interaction. Uh, I think the humans will just shift. Uh, instead of having a, a service or, or service salads or service deli, you know, maybe it might be more pre-packaged. And now that human is now maybe washing carts or maybe that human is now uh, tending to other areas to keeping the store even cleaner. So I, I think the human element is going to remain, but certainly um, we can't be blind to the future. Um, you know, robotics is huge. Uh, computer science is huge. Stocking shelves, filling orders, those kind of things. The future is that they will be automated. Now, before I go, I wanted to share some advice from Ebner. She told me, Yeah, I haven't been into a grocery store in a while. So I had to ask if she had any tips for online ordering. I thought I might keep it to myself, but I care about you too much. So here's the trick. You need to do it very early morning when they assign new delivery windows. This is Exit 43. My name is Jordan Fenster. If you have a story you'd like to tell, or if you're just feeling isolated and need to reach out, send me an email at jordan.fenster at hearstmediact.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, stay home if you can, and stay safe. Stay safe.